Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing on Uxbridge Road, W12. Four roads up from the Beast of Shepherd's Bush. A few doors down from the Devil's Child and his little snack. Over the road from where Reg Christie destroyed his dog. And a short walk from Bernie, the paedophile the press hid. Coming soon to Murder Mile. At 370 Uxbridge Road in Shepherd's Bush currently stands the new Coach House, an alcohol advisory service. But back in the 1990s, at the old Coach House, within a Victorian three-storey flat-fronted building, once stood a car dealership called Mark. Typical of most garages, all the shiny cars sparkled on the forecourt as out back, old bangers had holes patched and panels bashed. With space for ten cars, like many dealerships, an oily spiv slicked on the charm as he attempted to bamboozle a customer with a bluster that a nearly knackered, freshly waxed death trap was a dream brum-brum. With its rust rebranded as vintage patina, the unique blue hue spewing from the exhaust, described as an optional extra, and the obligatory pine freshener dangling from the mirror to disguise the whiff of body burps which lingered in the seat. On Saturday the 5th of December 1992, 33-year-old estate agent Gillian Bennett entered Marn Garage. With her life and career going well, she purchased a nearly new, bright red, K-Ridge Fiat Uno. Given a sense of freedom with her own car, this should have been an exciting chapter in her reassuringly safe little life. And yet finding a series of odd mechanical issues which required the dealership's attention. It wasn't only the car which caused her problems. As two weeks later, 
this purchase would lead to her murder. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 185 Driven to Obsession. Shopping. It's an everyday part of life which we do most days. It's designed to be as simple and painless as possible. A quick exchange of cash and pleasantries lasting a minute at best. And once the customer departs and the server moves on, both parties are forgotten. That's the way it's supposed to be. And that's what Gillian expected. Gillian Margaret Bennett was born on the 21st of October 1959 in Carlisle, a Cumbrian city just shy of the English and Scottish border. Raised in a loving family, to hard-working parents as one of six children, it was unsurprising that she would live a good life and would blossom into such a warm and loving girl. According to those who knew her, Gillian was popular and pleasant. A bright warm light on a dull grey sky, who radiated but never outshone. She was as gentle and good-natured as an adorable puppy who only wanted to please. And being a fun-loving girl who had the drive to achieve, she softly drifted through life like a fragrant petal on the breeze, quietly making her way without rustling any leaves. Blessed with a slim frame and a pretty face, she was always popular with the boys. And yet it was her big heart, which assured she was always surrounded by a constant companion of girls who were good friends. With enough smarts to graduate from university with a degree in tourism, and being fluent in French, Spanish and Italian, Gillian pursued a career as a travel agent. With the 1980s and 90s seeing a boom in package deals for the wider population, she travelled far and wide. Working for Reva Travel on New Bond Street, across her career, she visited many exciting countries, she embraced a multitude of cultures, and being friendly with thousands of strangers some of whom became friends. But always knowing the dangers, she acted appropriately and didn't take risks. By the turn of the 1990s, so focused was Gillian on her career that like a natty little cabriolet sports car in the winter, she had parked her love life in the garage and threw a tarpaulin over her romance until she felt it was time to blow off the cobwebs of singledom and give relationships one more spin. Enjoying life and being free, she lived in a pleasant ground floor maisonette on a quiet leafy street on Oakdale Road in Streatham, South London. <laughs> 
as a three-story semi-detached house converted into flats. Being safety and money conscious, Gillian lived with Anne Evans, a colleague from Reva Travel. It is said, the sum of a person is the sum of their actions, and Gillian was kindness personified. It seems almost remiss to describe her as just a nice lady who was doing her job and was living a good life without being a bother to anyone. But that's who she was. She deserved to live a good life. And yet a simple purchase would change everything. The morning of Saturday the 5th of December 1992 was an ordinary day. Albeit wet and tinged with a frisson of excitement as Gillian was buying herself a car. It was the perfect day to go car shopping as with the sky all gloomy and grey the freshly waxed motors in the showroom wouldn't distract from their faults. Having done her research set her budget, and chosen a reliable runaround which was both practical and suitable, Gillian entered Marne Garage on the Uxbridge Road and purchased a bright red Fiat Uno. Served by one of the sales staff, the transaction was swift. She gave her details, signed the agreement, and with the car due to be serviced and MOT'd, it would be delivered to her home the following Thursday. It was that simple. She went in, paid her money, and left. Unaware of what had begun. The man who would murder her was an employee of Marne Garage called Winston Goldborn. In an odd twist, as a mechanic, he didn't serve her that day and she didn't see him. But like all pricks who only think with their dicks, the second he saw her, he liked her. And having whispered to a colleague, Core, she's really nice. He looked up her details in the file and formed a plan of how to get to know her better. With sex on his mind, Winston wanted to wheedle his way into her pants by posing as the man of her dreams. With smooth music on loop, a slew of cheesy chatterblinds, and stifling a perpetual boner. But in truth, for any woman, he was a walking nightmare. Born on the 18th of August 1968 in Lambeth, South London, 24 year old Winston Anthony Goldborn saw himself as a ladies' man. Guided by his raging manhood, rather than his beating heart, he believed he was a red-hot Romeo with the looks to sweep any woman off her feet, the chat to charm a girl into bed, and as a Lothario, he talked of everlasting love as an easy ploy to get a chick on her back. 
with his words written, like the lyrics to too many crappy R&B songs. The bulk of his spiel spoke of love, hearts, and being one. But all too often, it ended with the line, Yeah, baby, take your pants off. Take your pants off. Described as coming from a broken home, little is known of his upbringing. But something hidden in his past, maybe a lack of love from a parent, a sense that he was worth less, or an early rejection by a girl, had left him damaged. But unwilling to deal with his issues, others would pay for his weakness. To those who knew him, Winston was a lovable but harmless rogue with no prior convictions. Born from Jamaican roots, he had the cool, calm demeanor of a Caribbean cocktail. Regularly working out, he was short but powerfully built. And always well-groomed, Winston's head sported a neat little flat top. And as was fashionable back then, on his top lip sat an Eddie Murphy-style mustache from Beverly Hills Cop. By day, Winston worked as a salesman and a mechanic at Marne Garage on the Uxbridge Road. It was a steady job and it paid a decent wage, which afforded him a flat in Ingateston Road, South Norwood, where he lived with his partner, Paulette Lucas. But by night, once he had ditched his dirty overalls and oily spanners, Winston would head home to make sweet love to his girlfriend. On the sly, he was shagging his secret lover called Jane Larter. And as if he was so sad that he had to prove his manliness even further. Being the kind of loathsome soul who saw women as conquests, acts of intimacy to be bragged about, and possibly the type of truly tragic turd who kept a scorecard of his latest shags and marked up whether a woman was a right-goer or a bad blower. Dressed to the nines, he often had one eye always open for his next sexcapade. It's deeply sad that anyone should be so vapid and vacuous as to believe that they are a silver-tongued stud who all the ladies adore. Stand in any cheesy nightclub and you'll always see a preening peacock who reeks of a desperation to be loved and a belief that one man could be catnip to any sex kid. Winston believed it and he lived to be loved. But what he couldn't accept was rejection. Whether by fate, a stroke of fortuitous luck, or having persistently pestered the boss into letting him be her knight in oily overalls, who would deliver this little car to this little lady. Given the fact that I live nearby and could drop it off on my way home, this didn't seem out of the ordinary, and it wasn't. Keen to make an impression, he straightened his best girl-made tie, adjusted the sharp lines of his suit, 
splashed on some totty lotion. And possibly admiring his face in the mirror, he thought he was as dishy as Denzel Washington, but looked more akin to Carlton Banks from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. On the evening of Thursday the 10th of December 1992, as agreed, Winston drove the K-Reg Fiat Uno to Gillian's flat on Oakdale Road in Streatham. He parked up. He rang the doorbell. He smiled and he said hi. And having handed over the keys and the paperwork, the transaction was completed in minutes. For Gillian, this marked the end of a simple transaction. But for Winston, this was just the beginning. The next day held a little more excitement than usual for Gillian, as she had her own car. She could go anywhere and she could do anything. With the mini breaks in the UK, traveling to see friends in other cities, or a family up in Cumbria. With the car barely one year old, the likelihood was it would be a decent little runaround for a few good years, and she wouldn't have to worry about it breaking down. It was a smart choice for a single woman with no children. It was cheap to run, it was easy to repair, and it was good to drive. But it didn't look flashy enough that a little scrote would either nick it or trash it. From day one, the Fiat Uno was ready to go. But that night, being a real homebody, as Gillian sat eating tea and watching TV with her flatmate Anne, the doorbell rang. Being late and dark, while Anne was on the phone, Gillian cautiously approached the door. Quickly she was relieved, as it was just the guy from the garage who had delivered the car. Being nice, she smiled as this was her way. They made small talk, but only briefly, as she was nothing if not polite. She didn't invite him in, as he was a stranger and this was her home and she listened to his believable apology that someone had forgotten to fit her car with footmats. For Winston, the missing rugs were an easy excuse to try and slime his way into her life, her home and her knickers. But what he hadn't counted on was that she had a flatmate. Being on the phone to her friend, Anne Evans was in eyeline and earshot of Winston and Gillian's interaction that night. This was his chance to try his luck with a pretty lady. But with another woman nearby, he lost his bottle. The moment was gone. His chatter lines dried up and his smoothness had suffered a few wrinkles. But it was then that fate gave him a break. 
inside the flat. He overheard Anne's phone call, in which he stated to her friend, No, I can't do the 19th or 20th of December. I'll be at my parents' house in Wales. It was just a few words conveyed to her pal, which were as innocuous as saying hello. But as a gift to an eavesdropper with open ears, it let Winston know when Anne would be gone and when Gillian would be home alone. Back at the garage, and buoyed by his brief interaction with this sexy lady that he was determined to back, Unable to contain his crass self-delusion that ladies were drawn to his raw sexual magnetism, Winston bragged to his colleagues that he'd already bedded her. So supposedly sharp was his charm that he had wooed, bedded and banged her, and that she was all over him like a rash. It was the typical bluff and bluster of a bullshitter with statistically a huge ego and a pointlessly tiny pecker. But how far did he believe his own lies? That one day she would be his? And how far would he go to get her? For Gillian, she was just getting on with her life, doing her job, and enjoying her freedom. So it's odd that just four days after delivery, she experienced a problem with her new car. Phoning from home, Gillian called the garage to state, my car won't start. With her call handed to a mechanic, strangely and as if by coincidence to Winston, he promised to drop by on his way home that evening. That night, clutching his toolkit and tinkering under the hood, he diagnosed the problem as a flooded engine. He rectified the fault, and he gave her his home phone number, should it happen again. Gillian thought nothing more of it, as the car was fixed, and she hoped it was the last of its issues. Only the next day, whilst giving her flatmate Anne a lift home from Reva Travel, as they drove down the Brixton Road, they noticed an odd thumping noise coming from the driver's side of the Fiat. Pulling over to investigate, they spotted that a wheel nut had been removed and another had been loosened. Once again, telephoning the garage, Winston showed concern and assured Gillian he would swing by on his way home that night with a tire iron, a wheel nut and a spare key to the car he'd forgotten to give her. Each time he had visited, he had trotted out a line and he did his best to flirt. Only his words bounced off her. Again, Believing that the car was fixed and the problem was solved, Gillian thought nothing more of it. 
Only the next day, as she approached her car, her face fell as she saw that her tire was flat. Again she called the garage. Rightly she complained that someone had let her tires down. And although, as if from the kindness of his heart, but most probably his crotch, Winston offered to fix it, Jillian flatly declined. Upon inspection, Jillian found a broken matchstick stuck in the valve which deflated the tire. This was too odd to be an accident and too specific to be done by a kid. Wanting nothing more to do with the garage or the mechanic, frustrated by the problems, his hopeless attempts at flirting, and with each excuse as pathetic as the last, she believed that if he didn't return, then neither with the problems. That little Fiat Uno would never experience another mechanical problem. As by the next day, its owner would be dead. Saturday the 19th of December 1992, two weeks after the purchase and less than one week before Christmas. With her flatmate away in Wales and no social plans of her own, Gillian would have an easy night in, dinner, telly and in bed by 9.30pm. Over in Norwood, a 30-minute drive south of Streatham. Unable to keep his dick zipped up, Winston, the slimy creep with the wandering eyes, lied to his girlfriend, Paula Lucas. I'm going to a party. To a party. Except the only invitees would be himself and his mistress, Jane Larter, as the party was in his pants. Back at hers, they had sex twice. And by 1am, having shot his load and a few cheesy lines, he left. In court, Jane would state, I had sex with him every day, as if his life was ruled by his pointless little plonker. Having left Clapham, Winston's route home was via the A205 and the B221, a road which went through Streatham. Pulling onto Oakdale Road and parking up behind the Red Fiat. He didn't care that she was asleep and didn't fancy him, as what he wanted was all that mattered, and what he wanted was sex with her. Having dressed in a tailored sports jacket from a Covent Garden boutique, having splashed on his totty lotion and slicked down his tash so he looked like a chunky Martin Lawrence. What woman wouldn't say no? As far as we know, that was his thought as he approached her door for one last time. With no eyewitnesses, only the evidence can tell us what happened that night. 
although a house split into six flats. No one had heard a bell rung or a door being knocked. But for whatever reason, with no signs of a break-in, Gillian had opened the door to Winston. No one heard any words, but it's likely, as she stood there, dressed in a long t-shirt and a white dressing gown, that the leech had tried his luck, and keeping her voice down, she had politely tried to convince him to leave. Whether rejection had enraged the fragile ego of a loser in the guises of a Lothario, at 1.20am, a scream was heard by a neighbour, possibly as he forced his way into the flat. But being half asleep, and living too near to a high street where Saturday night screams are common, they dismissed it as nothing. No one awoke or raised an alarm, and with Gillian having been temporarily knocked out, no sounds were heard. Dragged into her flatmate's bedroom, Winston half-stripped her of her night attire, bearing her breasts and tying her hands behind her back with the cord of her own bathrobe. With no sounds, no struggle, and no evidence of sexual assault, what happened next is unknown. And yet having gained full control over the woman he wanted, Winston stayed with her for a full hour. What sparked his fury will never be known, but claiming in court that he went berserk. From the kitchen, he stole an eight-inch knife and plunged it twice into her chest. So vengeful was his wrath that having stabbed her near the heart, he maliciously withdrew the blade and thrust it in again where it would remain. With Gillian silent, bleeding, but still alive, it was then that Winston left the flat. Only heading to his car, he wasn't making his escape. He was making sure that she wouldn't live to tell the tale and that no one would know that her murder was committed by him. At roughly 2.30am, Gillian screamed a scream with her last breath that lasted several seconds. Heard by an uncertain neighbour, once the scream had stopped, they thought the incident was over. But it wasn't. Having covered his trussed-up victim in a pink blanket, Winston had doused her with several litres of highly flammable petrol, and as he lit it, she screamed. With Gillian slowly being burnt alive, with the evidence destroyed and the petrol can in his hand, Winston calmly walked from the inferno and headed home to shake his girlfriend, as if nothing 
had happened. At 3.15am, 50 minutes later, with smoke pouring from Anne's bedroom, the blaze had triggered a smoke alarm in a neighbour's flat and the fire brigade were called. Having extinguished the flames, Jillian's body was found. It was burnt, tied up, and with a knife embedded in her chest. The police knew they had a murder on their hands. But who was the culprit? With no witnesses, finding her killer would be difficult. Keen to track her movements, Detective Inspector Bob Randall discovered that the only thing that was strange in the days before her death was that she bought a Fiat Uno. At the garage, he interviewed a boastful but slightly distressed mechanic who, for reasons which weren't clear, he had visited her home four times in the last ten days. Having found a few unique fibres, a grey wool and black viscous mix on the bedsheets in Jillian's flat, police examined a tailor's sports jacket from a Covent Garden boutique in his wardrobe and the fibres were a match. As a lover of fine fashion, and being too vain to destroy such a pricey jacket, of which only 125 were sold in Britain, finding her blood on the sleeve, on his tie, and with her skin found under his fingernails, a few hours after the murder, Winston was charged. Tried at the Old Bailey on the 4th of August 1993, having pleaded not guilty, that same day, a jury of six men and women took just five hours to reach a unanimous verdict. Found guilty, he was sentenced to life in prison with a recommendation he serve a minimum of 20 years. Praising Gillian as a lovely girl whose death was a tragedy, D.I. Randall would state, I can only describe Winston Goldborn as a Walter Mitty character an evil and dangerous psychopath. In 1996, the Home Secretary reduced his sentence to 18 years. In 2011, he was released on licence and he moved to Mitcham, South London, where, as far as we know, he currently lives. Life is full of what-ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs, no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mm. Swig of water. That was a hard one. Oh, I'd, I'd written it in quite a fun way. I'd try and have some fun so it's entertaining to listen to. But that always makes it really complicated to record. Oh, I know when you listen to it, it sounds like I do it in one go and you probably think it sounds, oh, that's that's how long it takes. It takes hours to record that narration. It really does. Oh, and then and then a whole morning to really clean it up and get it, get it nice and make it sound good. Oh, and to get rid of this is really annoying. I'd written in my notes... Uh, this part of the canal I'm on is a coot-free zone. There seems to be no coots. <sighs> There's one outside that just seems to be every five seconds he goes, <coughs> Mouthy little bastards. Right, I'm going to take your hat off. There we go. Your hat's off. You can hear me a bit better. <sighs> let's, go on, let's go and pop me on a tea. A tea. I'm not going to have a proper tea. I'm going to have an air, an able, an able tea. Able. Murder. There we go. Peppermint tea. Peppermint murder. Murder. Peppermint tea. Murder. I was busy watching uh, the Scousers on uh, uh, on YouTube on uh, the old ha- Harry Enfield series. They call us great. All right, calm down, calm down. Good series, good series. Anyway, what else is going on? Ah, uh, it's nice and cool at the moment. I think we're down to about twenty degrees. Lovely. The heat is buggered off, which is great. Hate the heat. There's nothing you can do. Love the cold. The cold's really nice. I love it in winter because you can sit with all the windows open, gets a nice cool breeze going through. It's nice, nice, cozy. You can do something about about it when it's cold. You can put on a hat or wear some gloves or extra socks or a blanket but heat you can't really do a lot i've got my little uh 
my little fan that I brought, which is great. USB fan, really tiny, useful. It's great and yeah, brilliant. Cost me about a tenner, perfect. But when it's, yeah, prefer when it's cold, you can do something about it. Ah, what else is going on? Uh, still using backup laptop, everything's going well. Well done, Michael. Set up backup laptop with all the software on it. And Google Drive is on there, so uh, everything gets backed up to there now. And I've got a backup of old uh, programs as well, all old episodes. So that's all good. Well done, Michael. This is working, all going good. So uh, I also have reserve backup laptop as well, just in case, because you never know. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, if you're a patron subscriber, I'm doing a monthly patron only competition. So if you're a patron subscriber, of which you can be for just just less than three pounds a month, it's bargain all the all the goodies you get just for three pounds of course you get more on the higher tiers you, you have but every month i'm going to do i'm doing a, a mug competition so uh i do uh, one of my special mugs this this time it's a reg christie mug of which you'll get loads of goodies with it and the official murder mile keyring and a, a murky miler badge and a thank you card from me um and then nice simple competition all you've got to do is i post a picture of the mug and you just say i want one and that's it it's all you've got to do um so uh new patron subscribers this this week uh uh kristen gunpeth thank you very much uh and brooke n this is very exciting because i announced about the uh patron competition and then within minutes both both uh kristen and brooke became uh <laughs> patron subscribers uh, so hopefully that was uh the excitement of wanting to get a, a, a mug it's It'll co it costs me a lot to kind of do the competition, but I'm just trying to keep everyone entertained because obviously it's, ten it's the mug is worth £10. And then if you're in America, that will cost me like an extra 18 quid to send it to you. That's 18 quid. 18? No, that'd be 28 quid. Cripes. That's why I'm only going to do one a month because otherwise it will bankrupt me. Um, uh, How is my water doing? It's almost there. Uh, let's Let's pull this over. There we go. Lovely. Oh, so this is a, a able able tea able. Uh, it's a it's an able tea uh, in my murder mile mug. Ooh, hands up if you've got a murder mile mug. Hey, Ooh, only the coolest of cats have a murder mile mug. I've got one. Eva's got one. She uses it to drink like super strength vodka through. So uh, yeah, I mean it's really made for tea. But you know, uh, to be honest, it's worn away some of the kind of the the shininess, and it's almost burnt through the bottom because she, she likes that really strong stuff that's made with like battery acid and shit. She's got a strong constitution, that woman. Right, let's do some. Uh, have I said welcome to Extra Mile? I don't think I have. If you're new to this, this is it. This is it. It's a bit of waffle quiz questions. Uh, we dive into some extra stuff about the case that won't have made it into the episode. Uh, not essential. If if this isn't your thing, switch off. That simple. You switch off. Uh, but if you, but people do like this, I don't know, I don't understand why. Um, people do. Um, so I do it. Of course, if they, I won't just do things because people like it. You know, unless it unless it's like drink uh, drink. Uh, Drink like some nice IPA. Ooh, that's nice. That's nice. Ooh, some nice IPA. I enjoyed it. Selena, thank you very much for the uh, the jam 
the jam donut IPA. I enjoyed those. I, I, I mentioned it to a mate and he was like, oh, I'm going to grab me some of them. So um, let's do some quiz questions. Right. As always, I will do the answers very shortly. And because I haven't edited the episode yet, I will probably balls it up. So let's give it a go. Question number one. The old coach house at 370 Uxbridge Road used to be Marn Garages. But what is it now? Oh, cool. What kind of business is it? Question number two. In what city was Gillian born? Question number three. What was the name of the travel agent she worked at? Question four. Where was the travel agent based? i.e. what street question number five what three languages except english was she fluent in which is to say she was fluent in english but i'm not allowing you to include that one because technically that's four languages uh question f- uh, six what line do i suggest that most r&b love songs end with all of them uh, question seven what registration plate was the car Question eight, what time did Gillian go to bed that night? Question nine, what is Winston's middle name? And question 10, what was Gillian's middle name? So there we go. Poor dear. Oh, I'm knackered. I'm, I, in order to make space so I can see my dad and my stepmom and do this crime con shit, um, burning through trying to i'm not taking days off i've literally done i've literally done almost a month straight without a single break i'm I'm ready to drop now almost done by the end of this week what day is it now tuesday i'll write another one i probably won't have time to edit it but i've written the next one i think and then i'm gonna take some time off go and see my that's the thing i don't want to go to my dad and my stepmoms and not and you know, have work to do. I want to sit there and go, ah, let's relax. Because I've got a telly. They've got a telly and the food's nice. Uh, and normally my dad has some good quality beers. Nice. So we'll have those. Nice. Um, so let's dive into some extra stuff about this case. What have we got? What have we got? Um, as we know, early at the start, on the first day, uh, Winston didn't meet Gillian on that first day. He literally saw her across the showroom, looked at her, said, and he one of the assistants said he'd said core she's really nice well there you go it's like being in a carry-on film isn't it yeah 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 seed (laughs) i should have added that maybe i might add that into the edit add in some uh, yeah 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 core seed and then Barbara Windsor, Barbara uh, Windsor turns up and she's doing her exercises and her, and her bikini pops off. Oh, how uh, those great days, how we were easily pleased by shitty films. Um, well, let's dive into some stuff to do with the investigation itself. Because um, pretty much everything that I've put in there at the start is pretty much as it is um he did it said after one visit to Gillian's home uh he had boasted to his friends at work that he'd had sexual intercourse with her but later admitted to the police that this was a lie um in court uh they would say uh you will have to consider whether it is or is not a coincidence that these opportunities arose for the defendant to get in contact with uh, miss Gillian bennett or whether he had something more to do with it uh, in total he would make four visits to her home over over 10 days which is extreme given the fact that the car was already mot'd and serviced so technically really 
shouldn't have happened or it should have been at the point where she could have uh she could have just called them and said i've got a problem i'm bringing the car back but it was always if you think about it it's always engine was flooded on the first one the car mats you can kind of car mats and the missing key you can kind of dress that aside because obviously these were things that were probably held back so he could visit her but the flooded engine could have been an accident could have been engineered the other ones the missing wheel nuts and the i can't remember what the other one was we'll get to that very shortly uh the the, the flat tire um these are all deliberate and they're all the as mentioned in they all the kind of things that a kid wouldn't think of a kid would basically just remove the the dust cap and then deflate the tire but wouldn't think to put a matchstick in there only really someone who's a mechanic would know that that would hold so and also the the missing wheel nuts wouldn't cause a danger problem but would be obvious you would hear the sound and then you'd you'd have to take have the car brought back in so but always it was just kind of something that would mean he would visit her as opposed to her bringing the car back to the garage hmm odd isn't it odd that it's kind of um it's a simple transaction that's what i wanted to get across with this episode it's a simple transaction something that we all do every day and you never really think about the person who's behind the till you just think you give them your money you say thank you very much you walk out and then you go home and enjoy your product you don't really think to yourself oh that could be a new stalker that i just got in contact with today you know weird situation uh what else we got so the day of the murder saturday the 19th of december uh Gillian had no plans obviously Anne was going out she stayed in she watched a, a video and she uh, went to bed at a time that I won't mention because it's one of the questions she locked the doors and the windows of her ground floor maisonette um, it wasn't listed where her flat was uh, I roughly know where the flat is but I can't guarantee exactly which one it was so I haven't put in the episode exactly which one it was but if you go onto Oakdale Road you can kind of see what all the, all the houses are pretty much similar we used to we I used to live in in one in Streatham like about four four roads down and they're all similar in that that neighborhood they're kind of uh, uh three-story semi-detached houses uh, but many of them are split into little flats uh, many of them uh, don't have working plumbing, as ours didn't. Ours was shit. We had a really shitty landlord who never did anything and never fixed anything. And our bathroom used to leak all the time. So whenever we'd use the bath, it would leak into next door, who had a really nice house. And then as we were leaving, we told the lady, we said, look, we're, we're moving out. We've had enough. And she was like, oh, hopefully, hopefully we'll get a, a new landlord and he'll come in and get it, things fixed because this guy's shit. And I, I said to her, do you want to come in and see how terrible the house is? And uh, to help her with her legal stuff, uh, I let her into the house and I, sh- I literally took out parts of the bath so she could take photographs from inside. So when she took our landlord to court, <laughs> she had photographs that he didn't know that she had. You know what? If he if he wasn't such a shitbag, fuck him. He was utter sh- he, we, uh, he He was fitting some patio doors one day or he got one of his cousins to do it because he never got a good engineer to do it he always got a cousin to do it um and one day we were sitting there we're going it doesn't make sense it's like at the top of the door there was a couple of inches of daylight and you could you could feel the wind going through and we were like are you gonna fix this he's like well it looks good to me and i'm like fucking idiot unfortunately when you when you live in a place where you've got uh where it's cheap you often get a landlord who's a bit of a shitbag 
bit of a wanker and can't be asked to do his job properly. Anyway, uh, so as mentioned in this episode, um, Winston was seeing 21-year-old Paulette Lucas. Uh, they lived together in South Norwood. So that's about half a mile, uh, about 30 minutes on the road south of Streatham. But also at the same time, he was seeing 22-year-old Jane Lato, and she lived in Clapham. And she, um, they didn't know about each other. Uh, he basically, because he's... Uh, I don't know whether I've got it across in this episode, but he thinks of himself as a bit of a Lothario. His ego is very big. He's he, he likes to believe that he's a man. He feels that he has to have sex lots of times with different women. Otherwise, just just a pathetic little worm. I don't know whether... Did that come across? That I think he's a pathetic little worm? He's an annoyingly pathetic little worm. What an utter wanker type of wanker who doesn't deserve happiness in his life oh i'm sorry people who cheat on other people just deserve to fuck off have i expressed that enough utter shitbags utter shitbags our cheats just need to just assholes who can't be asked to deal with their problems therefore they cheat because they can't face problems and him winston goulburn utter shitbag there i've said it was that obvious enough? Utter shitbag. Utter lying, cheating shitbag doesn't deserve happiness in his life at all. There we go. Said and done. And with a love of shitty clothes. Oh, people who just... I don't mind when people wear nice clothes. I'm one of these people who just wears practical clothes. But when people think that they're above other people just because they've, they've wasted uh, like seven, eight hundred quid on a jacket. And you just think, why? Why have you wasted money on that? Just buy something practical. Oh, anyway, uh, the day of the murder. So technically, technically, Sunday the twentieth of December. Uh, he turned. He would have turned up. So it's, um, it was the night of the Saturday, the nineteenth. But everything happened kind of more on the Sunday. This is what makes things really difficult in these episodes when the news always the news uh, go oh it happened on sunday and then and then midnight happened and you go no 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 saturday happened then midnight happened and it stretched into sunday which is they can't be asked to double check whether it's a saturday that it happened or a sunday but they just assume if someone's still awake and then it goes into sunday technically that's saturday it's lazy journalism uh so um we don't know how much of this murder was premeditated. Uh, everyone seems to accept the fact that he was turning up at her house. It was an unplanned visit. He wanted to have sex with her. We don't know um, if the petrol can, if he filled it up in advance, whether that was deliberate or being a mechanic. Maybe he was the type of person who had in his car tire iron, you know, things to repair a puncher and some petrol it's likely it's likely you if you're a mechanic i would guess that's what you'd have in your car but he didn't have anything else which was kind of to help him if he was going to commit a murder he hadn't got anything to tie her up he used her own bath cord and the knife was hers it was from her own kitchen no signs of forced entry no breaking uh, no knocking or bell ringing was heard but then again that doesn't mean it didn't happen doesn't mean he didn't knock on the door um this is 1992 so an era before mobile phones and no one heard a phone ringing um so it's maybe he did ring a doorbell but given the fact that it was gone 1am maybe people were just asleep they didn't hear it um so it's likely the door was unlocked uh not likely that she let him in but the the, the door was opened because she was not the type of person to let anyone into her house don't forget she's 
she's just been woken up she's in bed she's still wearing a ba- white bathrobe and a t-shirt uh what else have we got what else have we got the uh, the attack again we don't really know much about this uh he he must have forced his way in when the door was opened we don't know whether they talked first or whether and and then he just barged his way in or whether he did it immediately um i think a lot of people are guessing that he probably tried to put on his charm first because he believed that um she really wanted him but when she rejected him because you know what he's a lothario is he oh look he's a sex beast he looks like fat martin lawrence or or a shitty eddie murphy um have a look at the mustache he's got one of those horrible 1980s mustaches that just really piss me off <laughs> sorry when oh it's just do you know one of those little pencily ones and you just think just grow a proper moustache or, or just grow a beard or something do or just shave it off don't do, do you know like when kids when kids are growing up and they can just about grow some bum fluff and they're like oh i'm gonna have a moustache and you look at them and you go is that a moustache or is it a shadow or have you been drinking like some ribena it's like oh, it's just frustrating frustrating um so anyway as mentioned at 1 a.m roughly around that time one of the neighbors heard a scream uh it was brief they didn't they were woken up they didn't really think much of it they didn't know what it caused it they couldn't identify where it was coming from and given the fact that they'd just been woken up it could have been a dream might not have heard it correctly uh they're not too far away from the high street or i mean i lived in streatham and the amount of times you'd be fast asleep in bed and uh, we had a, a neighbor next door uh we called him the chief he was uh he was always dressed like an african prince now whether he was we don't know i actually i i went to university with a guy who was a prince we only we i think he was a prince from dubai or something but he dressed like he dressed like everyone else but then we 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 never quite worked out why he hung out with all these guys who weren't part of the university and we found out there were his bodyguards but he went to a shit university my university was shit uh so uh obviously he he, he could have paid better money to go to a better university rather than ass shithole uh anyway yeah the, the, this african uh the the chief who was next door every coming like 2 3 a.m always making a lot of noise like always windows open making himself some dinner and it's like oh for fuck's sake um so especially in streatham you're used to the sound of sirens screamings uh uh some kids got attacked outside our house there was a car going past and someone hit one of the kids with an iron bar across the head because his blood splattered on the car window and then they they drove away and i remember being standing there with my mate because we popped out to see what was going on and what one of the kids who was driving away in the car went my car my car it's my dad's car my dad's gonna kill me it's like yeah you're a twat aren't you utter twat uh what else have i used the word twat enough in this episode i don't think so um the attack as mentioned took place in anne's bedroom not jillian's um given the fact that uh winston didn't know the location he probably probably wasn't thinking about that probably just didn't care he probably just thought bedroom um he half stripped her he tied well he would have done because he had to take off her the cord of her bathrobe to tie her hands behind her back hence she would have been half stripped but whether he intentionally stripped her we don't know um according to the autopsy there didn't seem to be any evidence of a sexual assault but given the fact that she was burnt 
the petrol was poured on her and she wasn't found she was still alive when she was uh, the petrol was poured on her but she wasn't found according to this for the next 40 to 45 minutes and we don't know how long she was burning for but uh 3:15 there were still flames coming through Anne's bedroom window and smoke which set off the fire alarm um her injuries would have been extensive um so we know that he stabbed her we don't know whether he assaulted her uh, we don't know whether he sexually assaulted or raped her at all. Uh, he definitely stole an eight-inch knife from the kitchen and stabbed her twice in the chest with one of the thrusts into the chest. It was the left-hand side. He partially pulled out the blade and thrust it back in again. Um, so this clearly isn't an accident. This clearly, clearly isn't uh, a moment of madness where he just snapped. This is clearly something that's quite malicious because you, you don't partially pull it out and then turn it and then push it back in again uh that's just real psychopaths that do that uh so roughly 2 30 a.m that was the second scream that is when they believe uh petrol was being tipped on her and she was set on fire uh again as mentioned one of the neighbors thought they heard it but they couldn't identify where it came from uh, let's go into the investigation so this I, I didn't do that much of this in the episode because it kind of it kind of resolves itself quite quickly and i didn't want to go too far with it so uh sunday the 20th of december 1992 that was the morning after the fire brigade had been called they found her tied up with a knife in her chest they immediately called the police police brought the detectives in murder squad bang uh detective inspector bob randall was there uh he said, I thought I'd seen the very worst things a person could do to another until he went to there. Uh, he ordered house-to-house inquiries around Gillian's flat. Um, the, he said she'd been burned beyond recognition, uh, but was tentatively uh, identified initially because it's her house uh, and positively identified later by dental records. Um, the Because the petrol had been because a blanket had been put on on top of her while she was still alive and then petrol poured on her and set alive the flames were concentrated around her body but not around the rest of the room therefore parts of the uh, bed where obviously he'd he'd had her on the bed at some point and he'd been on the bed with her hence his kind of jacket was on there that's where they were able to find the fibers uh because he was a prick and the type of person who would only go out and buy limited run uh special edition blah 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 pointless clothes that cost too much money therefore when the police turned up they were able to identify exactly what shop it came from it came from a, a, a boutique in covent garden of which only 125 had been sold in the united kingdom and they kept records of everyone who had purchased them either through a check or credit card um which is when they were able to kind of track him down uh but yeah no uh, literally within the morning the detective inspector was there he was uh, examining her days leading up to the murder to try and work out where she'd come from what she'd done and because her day was so because her life was so routine going back and forth to her job and she wasn't she wasn't that outgoing therefore it's not like they had to track down where she was most nights most nights yeah kind of like most of us really kind of in watching telly nice and simple nice simple life uh but they'd found that uh she had purchased a fiat uno which was odd um that morning so literally uh that everything is just flying really fast given the fact that they'd the crime scene had been burnt 
and they had very little evidence to go on. They were able to kind of pick things up really quickly and work out what it was they needed to do. Um, police went down to the uh, Marne Road. Uh, they spoke to everyone who was there to find out whether she'd bought the car. She had. They started talking to everyone. When they spoke to Winston Gulborn, so he was working that morning. Uh, so, the, so hours after the murder, he was back at work. Um, uh, when they arrived at the Shepherd's Bush garage... Um, they told him of Gillian's death. He appeared distressed and readily agreed to help. Um, they routinely asked him about his movements at the time that he died and grinning, uh, he boasted to the officers that he had two regular girlfriends, neither of whom knew about each other and he'd spent the night with both of them. What a twat. Have I said that enough? What a twat arrogant twat let's hope he spent the rest of his life alone and lonely and nobody loved him and he was like oh why did nobody love me because you're a twat um what else we got um his alibi to cover his time um he boasted that he'd made love with a uh, twice with jane uh that uh, he left her flat at about one thirty a.m., which was a lie. It was before that. Uh, he then returned to his girlfriend, arriving home at about 2 a.m. Um, he said, I noticed, uh, the detective said, I noticed that his routine between the two women passed within a few hundred yards, yards of Gillian's home. Um, it wasn't much, but that and the cocky at attitude of, I like the way uh, the press put it, they said an immaculately dressed Casanova uh, made in enough so they, they would check his story um they said we spoke to jane and paulette so obviously uh his ruse was busted by that point uh, they knew about each other jane confirmed that she and goldborn had made love and he left but at 1 a.m not 1 30 a.m as he had claimed uh, she could be exact because she had a digital clock on her radio and she noticed the time as he left uh, Paulette didn't know what time Goulburn had arrived home because she'd been asleep, but Jane's statement indicated Goulburn was lying. Uh, we we know the timings because the neighbour was able to uh, confirm that the first scream was one twenty a.m. and the second one was roughly around two thirty. Um, the jacket. This was this was where everything fell down for him. His jacket, the very posh one. Uh, if he would have destroyed it, they would never have known anything about him. But on the jacket was blood and those fibres were just super unique. In fact, he hadn't even taken it to a dry cleaners to get it done. Um, it was a Sunday. There was literally none open, but he probably could have found one. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that Sunday, the next day, he was uh, he was uh, picked up by the police. The next morning, uh, he was officially arrested by the police uh, when they found a bloodstained blazer at his home address. Uh, what else we got? Uh, it was uh, just a small patch of blood on the back of the sleeve of, of the expensive tailored sports jacket. Uh, the blood was an exact match. Uh, the type of wool was an exact match. Uh, the jacket had been tailored in London, uh, but after speaking to experts in the rag trade, the officers learned that the original wool came from Belgium and had been woven in Italy. Only 125 jackets had been made from the material and all had been sold in Britain. Detectives began tracing the owners of 125 jackets, uh, systematically eliminating them from the inquiry. Uh, obviously, this wasn't all done in one day. They'd kind of that they had evidence to kind of arrest him and then they held him and then 
they, they did all this during the period when they they uh, had to. Uh, detectives began chasing the 125 owners, systematically eliminating them from the inquiry. Not all could be traced as some of the jackets had been sold from market stalls, but where check and credit cards had been used, detectives were able to follow a paper trail leading back to the buyers. Um, I think that's it. Uh, uh, detectives even said themselves, we believe Goldborn had... had man shouting at his dog because the dog's trying to go after a coot well there we go uh we believe goldborn was sabotaging her car um to give himself a pretext to pop around on the 20th of december he conned his way into her home and killed her when his advances were rejected uh when they searched his car they found the petrol can they also found uh her blood stains on his tie uh and during her autopsy uh, there were traces of his skin and blood on her and minute traces of blood uh, and skin found under his fingernails. Uh, horrible thought. So still there the next day. Uh, what else we got? Uh, there was a psychiatric report done on him on the 19th of May 1993, but we don't know the results of this. Unfortunately, this was one of those cases where the, the file won't be available in the archives until... I think it's 2068, something like that. Um, he was uh, sentenced, tried at the Old Bailey on the 4th of August 1993. It was a one-day trial. It was quick, even though he had pleaded not guilty. Um, as mentioned, a unanimous jury of 12 found him guilty. Uh, trial judge, in recommending 20 years as the minimum sentence, referred to the dreadful circumstances of the killing, which not only caused horror to the public, but also gave rise to the fear that a man capable of such cruelty to another might be capable of capable of cruelty in the future. Uh, prior to the setting of a minimum term in 1996, the Secretary of State received a letter from the uh, defendant's parents and the defendant himself. Uh, at the time, the defendant was still maintaining that he was not responsible for the killing, i.e. that was William Goldborn. Uh, jailed for life with a recommendation that he served at least 20 years. Uh, this was later. Um, he had an appeal. It was rejected, as mentioned. Um, that was in, I think it was 1996, I believe. But uh, 26th of September 1996, the Home Secretary set the minimum term which the defendant defendant would have to serve in custody being 18 years uh which meant he would be released two years earlier than he already was um i don't have an exact date of when he was released uh according to the electoral role as mentioned in the episode in 2011 he was cut, he was living in mitcham uh south london technically sorry uh but the borders change um i think that's it that's everything that's that, that what a lovely story lovely pleasant but it's terrifying isn't it that someone you barely know like they always say you won't you can rare to be murdered by a stranger but this is someone who Gillian just literally met didn't even really meet to be honest and uh there it all kicked off right let's do the quiz questions question number one the old coach house at 370 Uxbridge Road used to be Marne Garage but it is now what it's an alcohol advisory service. Oh, question two. In what city was Gillian born? In Carlisle. Ooh, lovely Carlisle. 
I've had many love, lovely hours spent in Carlisle because unfortunately when I used to travel back from my grand's house when I was looking after her you always have to change trains in Carlisle and the amount of trains that got cancelled so I'd sit in the pub waiting going on bored uh question number three what was the name of the travel agent she worked at it was Reva Travel uh, I think it went bankrupt uh, the year afterwards, apparently. I, did, I was trying to do research into that to find out exactly where it was. Um, but yeah, it went bankrupt the year later. I don't know whether it's connected to the murder, but I, I don't think so. Question four, uh, where was this travel agent based? It was based on New Bond Street. Question five, what three languages except English was Gillian fluent in? French, Spanish, Italian. Hey, where's the gobbagool? Where's the gobbagool? Question six. What line do I suggest that most R&B love songs end with? It's true, they do end with that. Yeah, baby, take your pants off. Always, it's always that. It's always like, yeah, I love you, baby, all of time, all of time, me and you together. Oh, till the end of time, baby, baby, call me on the telephone. It's always shitty lines like that. And then at the end, they, they talk about love, 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 and romance. And at the end, it's like, yeah, baby, take your bands off. It's like, why, do I, why, why do you not understand the difference between love and sex? Fuck's sake. Uh, question seven. What registration plate was the car it was a k plate which means it came out that year which was 1992 question eight what did Gillian, what time did Gillian go to bed half past nine which is a sensible hour all good people go to bed at half past nine uh question uh, uh question nine what was winston's middle name it was anthony and question 10 what was Gillian's middle name it was margaret Margaret. Um, so that's me done. Hope you enjoy that, folks. If you can enjoy something as horrible as that. Um, have yourself a good week, folks. Stay safe and be good. Lots of love. See you soon. Bye. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J U V E 
D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 